0: This morning, we're starting a new series, a sermon series that will focus, uh, that will uh, be our focus up until Advent, which is essentially late November. Each Sunday, the primary scripture will be from the book of Romans. This book of the Bible has been one of the most influential books in history, and I mean that literally. The quintessential example of this comes from the story of Martin Luther. Uh, Luther was a German priest in the Christian church in the late 15th and early 16th centuries. And I say this purposefully, he was a uh, German priest in the Christian church in, uh, because in the Western world at that time, there essentially was only one church. And it was governed by the Pope and based in Rome. Early on, Luther had felt burdened by a perception that Christians had to be perfect, that the things we did or didn't do dictated our relationship with God and it overwhelmed him with worry and with fear. Then he read the book of Romans Through what he read, he came to understand that what determined our relationship with God was not us, but God. Luther began to know for himself the love of God, God's grace to us, and Luther's heart found peace for the first time, peace and hope, and he began to preach and teach those same things. And he began to see that many of the practices of the religious system that he was a part of didn't fit with his understanding of God's grace. He and others with similar understanding of God and the church began to protest loudly about the practices of the church. Martin Luther became one of the most prominent voices in a rebellion that broke the stranglehold the leadership based in Rome had on defining who was a Christian and who was not. These protesters joined with all sorts of others in a rebellion that led to the reforming of the whole idea of the Christian church, at least in the Western world. This became known as the Protestant, the Protesters' Reformation, the Protestant Reformation. And in some ways, it can be said that all of this was due to Martin Luther reading the Book of Romans. But I should also clarify my terminology a little bit. The Christian church has had this habit of talking about the Bible as being made up of various books. The book of Romans, the book of Ruth, or the book of Exodus, which was the series that we just finished up. But Romans isn't a book in the same way that Exodus is. Uh, Exodus tells a story. It's told from the perspective of a narrator. Romans, on the other hand, is a letter. This was written, as I said in the children's part of it, this was written uh, by a guy named Paul, his Jewish name, Saul, and sent to some people in Rome. It was intended to be personal and relational for Paul and these people in Rome in that present moment. But... Because Paul expresses such tremendous thoughts about God and the world and Jesus, some Christian leaders through the years that have followed have used this letter more as a textbook on doctrine or almost like a legal document that defines what a person must believe in order To be deemed a Christian or not, which is ironic considering it led Martin Luther to fight against that exact legality. My hope for us is that as we hear these words through the weeks ahead, that we will hear the personal and relational voice of Paul writing to friends, writing a letter to friends in a distant city. As we do that, we will feel and experience the heartbeat of what Paul is sharing. Paul's own life had been dramatically changed for good by his own experience of Jesus Christ alive. And Paul wants to help others know the presence of Jesus Christ themselves. For Paul, the central purpose For writing this letter is not to try to dictate the framework for an institutional religion. Paul wants to share Jesus Christ himself. For Paul, the central message of the Christian church is Jesus himself, a living person who brings grace and peace and hope to anyone and everyone in the whole world, even the whole cosmos. Historically, we know this was a letter because letters of the time had a specific structure and details which are all present in Romans. And that's generally how I'll try to refer to this as Romans, not the book or the letter, but just Romans. Our traditional letters, would start out with a salutation to a person receiving the letter, like the infamous, Dear John. And the person writing the letter would sign it at the end with some sort of blessing or note of intent. All the best, Doug. Catherine Grieve, a, an Episcopalian priest and professor, tells us about letters in the time that Paul was writing. The ancient Greco-Roman letter convention was more like our contemporary office memos or email. John to Mary, greetings. A polite statement wishing health or good fortune to the addressee or complimenting that person uh, would follow before the letter moved on to its business, the body. We see all of this in our text for this morning. Verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Verse 7, to all in Rome who are loved by God. Grace and peace to you from God. And then verse 8, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. It moves into the body of the letter. So it follows the conventions of letter writing at the time. One of the noticeable differences, though, is that Paul adds to the basic components these flourishes beyond just a simple name introduction. This is particularly true for his own identification. He doesn't just write Paul to the Romans, but Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel God promised, and he just goes on for four more verses. In part, Paul adds some of this uh, additional information because he's never met the majority of folks, if, if any of the folks, he's never met in person the folks he's writing to in Rome, the people who will receive this letter. The church in Rome is very intriguing. Um, Patrick Henry Reardon, an Orthodox priest in Chicago, gives us a little history of the church. Um, The church at Rome seems first to have been established by Roman Jews who had been present at the original Pentecost in Jerusalem. So this, they basically were there, the experience that the, the apostles had that started the church there, they, they left, went back to Rome, and started a church in Rome. An early date for the founding of the church at Rome is supported by a funerary inscription of a Christian woman, Pomponia Gritina, in the early 40s. Uh, no one knows who started the church in Rome, but we do know that Paul didn't. And most of the letters, I think all the other letters uh, that we have from Paul that are collected in the New Testament were written by Paul to churches that he either founded himself or had visited a number of times. But Rome was different. Paul has no previous connection to these folks in Rome. So in part, he is establishing or trying to establish credibility with them. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Not only does Paul say that he was called by God, he was called to be an apostle. In those early days, that was a very specific designation for only the original 11 disciples and Paul. We hear Jesus at the end of the gospel, according to Matthew, the 11 disciples gathered. Well, Paul got added to that to make again a a 12, a group of 12 apostles. So Paul is trying to establish some credibility with the Romans, but even more excuse me even more significantly than establishing that, the reason Paul adds so much uh, to his introduction is because of his overwhelming enthusiasm for sharing with them what he refers to as the gospel. Paul uses that word more than any other writer in the New Testament in some ways for paul it sums up his whole understanding of what Christianity is. For us, eh, that word can sound both archaic and or ambiguous. The gospel. Preach the gospel. Do you believe the gospel? It's been used so often without any explanation that the meaning has mostly faded for us. As I was saying to uh, in the shorter version of this, the original Greek word is euangelion. Literally, it translates good news. I think a little clearer might be the great message. In our text, Paul tells us what he believes this great message is. First of all, Paul, a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel is of God. It came from God, not from Paul. It is divine and holy. He goes on, the gospel God promised beforehand through their prophets in the Holy Scripture. The Holy Scriptures that Paul is referring to are the Hebrew Scriptures, what we call our First Testament of the Bible. Paul is saying that This gospel, this great message is a continuation of God's revelation, excuse me, God's revelation to God's covenant people, Israel. This, the gospel, is the fulfillment of promises like the one we read from Isaiah. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light for to us a child is born. And the government will be on his shoulders. And of the increase of peace and righteousness, there will be no end. That was a promise. And as one commentary put it, for Paul, the gospel then is the fulfillment of hopes which God inspired. This is the gospel of God that God promised beforehand through the Holy Scriptures And then it gets to the heartbeat of it all regarding God's son. The great message from God regards God's son. Or another way to look at it is the subject of the gospel of God is the son for Paul. God's son is specifically Jesus of Nazareth. He continues on in verse three uh, regarding the son who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus is not only the human descendant of David, but also the divine appointed one, anointed one of God. And the verifying revelation for this truth was Jesus's resurrection from death. So the gospel for Paul is Jesus, the Christ himself, the living Lord. And he believes this because he experienced it. Many of us know uh, Paul's story. He was a Jewish Pharisee who was so angry at the blasphemous stories that the followers of this executed criminal Jesus, he's so angry at the stories they're telling about him, him having come to life and being divine, that he was trying to round them up and have them executed as well. He was on his way to Damascus to find some of these blasphemers when Jesus Christ showed up blocking the road he was on and blinding Paul with his brilliance. Jesus then spoke to Paul and Paul was changed forever. Paul tells the Romans what happened in verse 5. We were called Excuse me. No, we received grace. He's using the royal we here Uh, through him and for his sake. We received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus. And then Paul writes the greeting grace and peace to you from God, our father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. But for Paul, these are not empty words that are used simply for convention. A British uh, theologian, F.F. Bruce, explains what Paul means with these specific words grace and peace to you. The grace of God is God's free love and unmerited favor to men and women, imparted through Christ. The peace of God is the well-being which they enjoy through that grace. For Paul, the great message of the Christian church, the gospel, is Jesus Christ, who brings grace and peace for the whole world. And what Paul shared with the followers of Christ in Rome is what we share in Jesus Christ today. The beating heart of Christianity, the gospel is Jesus Christ. Through the fullness of his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus has revealed that God isn't an angry judge who wants to punish people for breaking moral law. God is a loving parent, a loving mom and dad who want their family back together and all their kids happy and healthy. And somehow, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are incorporated into all of this love in Jesus Christ, in spite of what we have done or not done. That is grace. And the existential experience of this is peace knowing that we're loved by God and that all will be well. Through my years uh, as a preacher, I've become far more focused on the social uh, dimensions or the societal dimensions of the scriptures and God's emphasis on caring for all human beings and all of creation. That's a very significant part of that. We heard that in our our call to worship God is uh, God will rescue the, those who are afflicted and who have no one to help them. He will rescue from their oppression. That's a significant part of what God calls us to. And all of that is intimately linked to what we hear from Paul this morning. It all begins when we encounter Jesus alive standing in our own path, calling us by our own name. It all begins when we hear Jesus speak to us of love and peace. When we experience peace in our soul and hope for the future, we then are open to the world. For those of us who have experienced the Lord Jesus Christ alive and with us, alive and within us, my prayer this morning is that Paul's words will rekindle the fire that warms us through and through. The knowledge that we are loved by God and all will be well. For those of us who have yet to experience, the Lord Jesus Christ, alive within us. My prayer is that Paul's words this morning will spark a fire within us that warms us through and through with the knowledge that we are loved. You are loved by God, and all will be well. This is not me saying it. This is the gospel. Thanks be to God.